0: Welcome to the Fearless Warrior Podcast. This is a place where truth is shared, taboos are disrupted, secrets are revealed, and power is gained. I'm your host, Danny Temras, and it is my personal mission to empower women in becoming the best version of themselves. Each week, I'm bringing you inspiring guests to help you build your confidence and mental toughness so that you can live the life of your dreams. Our guest for today's show is Tab Pierce. Tab is the founder and president of Calibre Security Partners. Calibre was created in 2010 and provides cybersecurity services to enterprise clients and emerging technology companies. Tab is the author of a new book, Upsearch, Wreckage to Triumph, Rebuilding Your Personal and Business Life. This is where he shares his experiences, lessons, and setbacks throughout his entrepreneurial journey and a path forward that has helped his business go from wreckage to triumph. In this episode, Teb and I talk about his early beginnings in sales and what's helped him become the number one sales rep for his company, despite many challenges that he's faced. We talk about what inspired him to launch his own company, the key lessons that were part of the fall and triumph of his empire. the sure shares his hard-earned lessons of working with moneylenders and getting out of debt. And together we get to the bottom of what really helped him rebuild his company. Deb also opens up about how critical it is for men to develop self-love and self-appreciation and how he's become a better and more humble badass because of it. This episode has many golden nuggets, not only for the entrepreneurs and business professionals in the room, but pretty much for anybody who's gone through hardships in life and wonders if he or she can get out of it smiling on the other side. I really enjoyed my conversation with Tab, and I hope you will do so as well. As always, please share this episode with your friends and colleagues and leave us your review and rating on Apple Podcasts so that we can better spread the message of empowerment to other listeners like you. And now, let's dive into the interview. Hello, Tev, and welcome to the for Your podcast. I'm so happy to have you on the show today.
1: I'm excited to be here.
0: Fabulous. So tell us a little bit more about yourself. You're a very successful entrepreneur, but I'd love to know a little bit more about where you grew up and to learn more about your backstory.
1: Sure. I was born here in Seattle, but at about 10 months old, my dad was in the military, so he was transferred to Germany. So he went to Germany for a couple of years. I don't remember it, but that's what they say is we were there. And then, you know, we kind of traveled around a lot and then settled south of here when my father retired down in Tacoma, Washington. So that's, that's kind of where I really grew up. That's kind of where I kind of cut my teeth and that, and like a lot of military families. And I come from a pretty meager background. You know, we didn't have a lot of money. We didn't have a lot of things. We didn't have much of anything. So, you know, I mean, it was great. I had great parents. You know, they loved us. Um, it's, you know, it's just, we lived a, a pretty tight life.
0: Okay. Tell me a little bit more about your family. So did you grow up with any siblings? You know, what was it like? And maybe what were some of the biggest lessons your your parents passed on you?
1: So it's, it's interesting. I always tend to forget about my siblings, partly because there's eight years difference between myself and my youngest sibling. So there's a bunch of or there's there's four of them two girls two boys 8 to 13 years older than i am so it was like having siblings but being an only child so that was kind of a kind of an interesting i guess luck or something like that but great family like i said lessons i've learned from my family it's interesting how you look at what you know your family did and it wasn't like there was something my that my my family said like hey you know here's some bits of wisdom or bits of knowledge or whatever, but I came from a very cautious family. My mom, growing up, she was always like, you know, get a job with the railroad or get a job at the post office because you'll always have a job. And I was like, oh my gosh, nothing against that, but oh my gosh, that would just kill me. That would drive me nuts. And, um, you know, my dad retired from the military, then went to work for um, a penitentiary where he spent 20 years, died the month before he was retiring, and hated the last 20 years of what he worked. And so what I learned was that I'm going to do what I want, and I'm going to live the life I want. I'm going to be employed and do those things that I want, and I'm not going to live a life, it sounds bad, but kind of live a life in shackles. I'm not going to do that. And I'm grateful to my parents for teaching me that lesson, but it wasn't a lesson that they went out of their way to say you know we're going to do this it was it was a lesson of observation mhm
0: and usually the lessons we learn from life is through our own experiences right so it seems that you learned a lot from your parents this way and you decide hey i'm going to follow my own path
1: yeah, and that takes yeah. a lot
0: of courage to do that absolutely so i'm curious with your dad being in the military can you tell us a little bit more about that and what part of the military was he with and Were there any lessons, especially related to his profession, that you learned from him?
1: He was in the Army and he was a, he started off as a combat medic, kind of quickly decided that that wasn't what he wanted to do. So he became a Ranger, then Ranger Airborne, um, and then uh, Green Beret. So he's just kind of like a frontline guy, but he kept doing, you know, changing to being a Ranger and then airborne ranger because he was paid a little bit more because he could be he could receive rank quicker but his big reason for doing it was that he wanted to get out of being a combat medic but ironically when you're a, a ranger and you're a combat medic then you're on the front lines and you're a combat medic so he, he never got rid of the combat medic so <laughs> you know he was trying to run from that and I kind of I think unintentionally ran to it But the things I learned from him was just, you know, how to harden yourself and just how to position yourself as somebody of strength. And, you know, that was what I knew growing up. Later on in years, I think like about five years before he passed away, I started to see a lot of the, you know, the the cracks in that and and whatnot. It was shocking to me as, as a son who saw my dad as like, you know, a warrior that he could have those cracks. And, you know, that actually came back to help me later on. But, you know, that was what I learned.
0: I love that. So knowing that this is a Fearless Warrior podcast, I love that you already had the example of a warrior in your dad.
1: Yeah. And that that dude was a warrior for sure.
0: (laughs) So how did it come to life? besides, you know, like teaching you how to harden yourself or maybe grow a thicker skin, be able to take hits in life? What were some other qualities that you associate with him and him being a warrior?
1: It was a different time, right? I mean, I don't know that dads and parents and families are the way they used to be. I mean, I'm talking about like, you know, 69 to probably like 1976. So, you know, like I said, different Mm -hmm. age. And he was just the kind of person that when you had a problem, that was where the buck stopped. You'd go to him. And he would solve it. And as I got older, you know, he, he didn't have the capacity to solve those problems. But when you're a kid, you know, he solved it. And, you know, I remember one time, uh, I should say a story. I, I wasn't there because I was, again, eight years younger than my siblings. But my brother had a, uh, a run-in with a teacher who physically assaulted my brother. He probably deserved it. But, you know, you don't do that anyway. And my dad showing up there in full army ranger everything and the story just like you know my dad taking these big thick sausage fingers of his and just every syllable thumping that dude in the chest and that was a story that was like legendary in our family of like you know kind of don't piss dad off don't piss him off and so we didn't but at the same time you know he was a loving guy he wasn't abusive he wasn't you know mean he was just you know, kind of a hard ass, but a good hard ass. I don't know if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah, it does. You know, like a tough love.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> awesome. So maybe shifting gears, tell us a little bit more about your early beginnings in your career. Yeah. I believe you started in sales, right?
1: Yeah. So, you know, we talked about my my mom saying, get a job with the or get a job with the post office. And because I was the only one in the family, I just didn't know when to shut up. And so my mom would always say, you should get a job as a salesperson, not because for any other reason, but just like, because you can't shut up. And, you know, and I was like, I don't know what that is. I just remember being a kid going, I don't know what that is, but if mom thinks it's bad, that's what I'm going to (laughs) do. So I kind of like, I kind of was like, you know, it was like, and then of course, later on, you know, I, um, you know, trying to figure out what I wanted to do in life and that, and I went to work, at a place. And it was kind of as a side note, you know, how I got into things, you know, pretty much my entire life, people have told me, you're not going to be able to do that. You're not going to be able to do this. And I don't mean like, and I proved them wrong, like, but I just don't have the ability to listen to people when they say things like that. Cause I'm like, you know, how do you know, you know, how do you know? And so I had this guy tell me, because I didn't graduate from college you know, I had this guy who was like, you're not gonna get the job you want in sales, it was a recruiter. Because you don't have a degree, nobody will hire you. And I was like, Really, nobody? Nobody? There's gotta be somebody out there that's gonna hire me. And I found this company that um, I went to work for kind of as a hybrid inside salesperson and a I don't know, like a like an office boy. Something like that, and within six months they moved me into being inside sales. And then about six months later, or so they came to me and they were like, "Hey, we want you to go outside, and we're going to transfer you to Utah to be a new territory manager there." Turned out that the guy in, in Oregon failed, and so I took over that territory. But that was like my first real move into business. And you know, it's funny. You know, that was back in what, like 89 or something like that? And I was so stupid. I had no idea the amount of money I was making. I was making a lot of money for a stupid, you know, 25-year-old kid with no college education. I had freaking no clue. I, I look back and laugh. Well,
0: but you delivered the results, right? It's not just that you didn't know what you were doing. You, know?
1: I did, I had no clue what I was doing. So...
0: Well, clearly, you you stumbled upon a gift, probably yeah. or, or a talent.
1: Yeah, I did that for about seven years at that company.
0: So, I personally have a huge passion for sales. That's where I started as well. I'm curious, what has sales taught you?
1: You know, there's a lot of you know people out there that look at salespeople as you know being sleazy and dirty and and untrustworthy and that. And what sales has really taught me over the years is that that it's a an avenue for my extrovert personality to meet people and to, um, you know, build long-term relationships. And, you know, and of course, along with that, you know, meeting quota needs and expectations and, and, you know, growing organizations and that. But what I really found from sales that done right for me, it was just such a great avenue to release kind of my personality.
0: Excellent. Yeah. Letting your natural abilities shine and, and use them meaningfully in a profession. So, so you spent seven years on uh, the company doing sales. Now, today you own a security company. Mm-hmm. What has brought you uh, on the path of security?
1: You mean, how did I get on the path to the security?
0: Yeah. Or, like, what has even you know, sparked your interest in technologies? Or, you know, how did you make your way there?
1: So being stupid, I left that company and started a, a business and then started another business and started another business and drained all of my funds because I didn't really know what I was doing. I had a desire, but but no direction. And so I started looking at, oh, it's time for me to go get a job. I, get, I got it. You know, I'm a sales guy. I'll go find a job. And so I went to the recruiter and she put me in front of a couple of different companies. And, and one of them was a reseller. And, and I went in there to interview with them and kind of being an, an arrogant guy, I just went, look, if you hire me, I will be your number one salesperson at the end of the year. And my manager, the guy that ended up being my manager is like, look, that, you know, great. Appreciate the belief in yourself. I appreciate all that. He goes, but we're a federal integrator. 4% of the government spending is in your territory. That guy that sits over there, 60% of the their spend is in his territory. All he has to do is sit on his hands, and he's going to lay waste to anything you can do. And me being cocky, I was like, dude, no way. There's no way that dude's going to beat me. I said, I guarantee you I'll beat him. You hire me, I guarantee you I'll beat him. And he just laughed, and he's like, okay, man, you got 12 months. And, and he goes, matter of fact, if you beat him, I'll fire that dude, and I'll hire you to have his role. And that's exactly what happened. 12 months later, I, I had more revenue ended up managing two regions and that. And that kind of catapulted me into the depths of technology, which led to the cusp of security about, you know, 98 or so when I started working in firewalls. And then that led to working within digital security and and our, our digital certificates and, and a few other things that, you know, I think back in about 2003 after the dot bomb and all that stuff, like, Flushed out, you know. I was sitting there working for a security services company, and I've, I've been doing that in one f- one form or another, pretty much for seventeen years.
0: Fantastic. So before we go and talk more about your um, most recent business, Caliber Security, I want to again and really ask about what has helped you to overperform the other top salesperson in the company and. And realize such a high revenue and 12 months without having experience in that particular industry niche and also maybe having this disadvantage of a territory with uh, less prospects. How did you do that?
1: You know, a lot of it's the older you get, the more refined you become. So, you know, I was probably 32, 33 years old when, or uh, give or take, whatever, I was completely arrogant because I'd blown everything out of the water that I'd done other than trying to start a business at that point in time. So I was pretty arrogant. And so, you know, my attitude was, is you know, there's no reason anybody should be able to beat me. I will do whatever it takes to beat people. And I would watch other people's numbers as close as my own. And, you know, and I would level up my game to just push forward to beat them just because I had an internal desire to be number one, and you know, I don't know where that came from, but but that's always been there. I mean, even to this day, you know, it drives me bananas that my company's you know not number one, but I refuse to go out and get financial backing, um, you know, and that. So there's that. But you know, it's it's really the ability to push and persevere and just continue to move on and, and keep going.
0: Absolutely, I love that relentless pursuit. You know, they often say that salespeople are some of the most competitive individuals, and I guess in your case, uh, it's probably true. And and I would even say it's really something what has really brought you to a lot of the success that you've had, besides really many other qualities. But it always starts with a desire, right?
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Excellent. So you were starting to tell us how you got uh your um, how you got into technologies and security. How did you uh, get to start your own company, Caliber Security, and what kind of sparked that? interest?
1: I would love to say like, oh, I had this great epiphany and this (laughs) I'd worked for, I'd worked for several companies, you know, I think three or so within my industry. And the last one, and all three of them were pretty similar. I ran the sales, you know, I was the VP of sales and, you know, it would come to an end and I'd go to another company and do the same thing. The last company I was at was sold. And I was like, I'm going to go do this again. And I just went how long am I going to keep doing this again? <laughs> so, I mean, at what point do I get off this train? So, I thought about it, and I went. You know, I'm going to I think I'm going to start my own company. And you know, I went back to my wife and talked to her about it. And you know, she was incredibly supportive. But I'm sure she was like, "So, this is business number seven, and the first six failed miserably. So, why is this going to be different?" But she didn't say that. So, I started it with this really grand idea of. Maturing security, you know being able to help organizations kind of paint a you know a complete vision of their security and you know, and the other thing was I was like you know one reason I'm gonna oh one of the uh, two of the bigger reasons was I was tired of there being a buffer between me and my clients, so the buffer was the senior leadership or the ownership of the companies where they were just like Hey, we're going to do this this way because it's best for the company. I was like, oh, that's just stupid. We, we shouldn't do that. So I wanted to get away from that. And the last thing was, is I kind of was tired of working with assholes. And I was like, I'm not going to work with them anymore. And the best way to avoid that is to own your own company. And if you hire one, you fire them. And in 10 years, I've had two. So that's kind of what led me into it. And it was an interesting journey to start.
0: I love what you just said, right? About all the reasons that contributed to your decision. And all of these are definitely valid and, and decisions we've probably heard or reasons we've definitely heard from, from other people, right? Being your own boss and extent or determining who you work with and not. It's great that you have had such a great track record of finding the right people for your company and the 10 years you've run it. Uh, that's fantastic. These people is really what makes your company. So in the past ten years, right, your business has gone through different seasons and challenges, and it hasn't been all rosy, right? From from what I know, and you most recently wrote about it in your new book, Upsurge. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious to learn more about the most recent of turmoil or challenging time for for your business. Can you tell us more about that?
1: So you know that part I said about you know me being arrogant and full of it, and like I can do this, and as a salesperson, that can backfire on you if, if you don't check it. Um, that's, that's something I learned was at the height of our the revenue of the organization. We had a lot of people in the company. We were doing what I thought was really well. And you know we had this weird dynamic between me and my accountant because the, my accountant was my, well, he, he's not my accountant anymore. He's still my son and he still works for us. Uh, but um, he's not in that role. But when we were going through this, you know, we had this weird employer-employee-father-son dynamic. And so it was like, how far do I push my dad to tell him things are bad? And me being like, okay, it's my son. He doesn't know what he's talking about. You know, flip that around. He knew what he was talking about. I wasn't listening. And so there was a lot of things that kind of came together. One of them was, that we had a contract with eight people that was due to renew. And that renewal just kept getting pushed off and pushed off and pushed off. And we were like, you know, we got another week, got another week, and I got another week. And it went like eight weeks. Well, eight people, eight weeks, sitting on a bench, small company. It's just a bad situation because we're draining funds. At the same time, we had a business unit that just wasn't meeting expectations. They were a financial drain on the company, but it was easy to hide that because everything else was going so good. But then when, when all that other stuff that, that kind of shined this big light on this group. And so my son came to me, he was my, again, my accountant was like, Hey, we have a problem. And I'm like, Duh, well, no, we don't have a problem. Well, this is going to, he goes, no, you need to sit down and listen. Cause he kind of got reached a point of like, I, j- I just got a hard line, my dad. And he was like, you need to sit down and listen. And I remember sitting down and listening to him going, okay, I'll listen, but just like gathering information so I could challenge whatever he said. And the more he talked and the more he showed me what was going on, the more I just kind of like went, oh my gosh, we're freaking screwed. To follow that up because I was still in a, let's, let's solve this problem. We took out a really bad loan. And in hindsight, we should have made different decisions, should have looked, you know, asked different questions of ourselves. But when everything shook out, we were $750,000 in debt to 18 different creditors. And, you know, it was, it was emotionally devastating because everything, all this, you know, I don't want to say I had a big ego, but I was, I was flying pretty high. I was feeling pretty good. And that really knocked me down. And I, you know, emotionally spent well, I spent years, but the first two weeks were memorable in a bad way. So that was the pain.
0: Thank you for sharing. This this must have been definitely a very hard time for, for you. And also knowing that basically a uh, big like part of your business, uh, you know, it's a, it's a family business, right? You mm-hmm. have your family working with you. So that makes things a lot more complex. I'm curious. So what did you do about that situation? So you find yourself in debt. How do you go about it?
1: there were a lot of things we had to do right i mean it wasn't like okay let's do this 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 and this and you know we're done i mean it was <laughs> you know me managing my emotional side right i know this warrior is a big just a big part of this podcast you know i mean people would look at me as a warrior and i was so emotionally weak it was like i was a warrior dragging his sword into battle because i had no other option but to show up but I did not have the strength to pick the sword up. That was part of it. The other part was deciding that, hey, we, we need to disband this business unit and let people go. And because of all the turmoil that was, was obvious inside the company, you know, a lot of people just left on their own, you know, including a minority business owner of mine who the year before was trying to figure out how I was going to buy his 26% because we, we didn't really get along well. And he wanted a lot of money for it to a year later, him just going, "I want out of this, I want to be absolved from any of the responsibility. Here's your twenty six percent." I was like, "Oh, wow, okay, so all I had to do was screw things up massively for you to give me the twenty six percent but I wouldn't have done it that way if I had a choice but then there was this bringing our employee count down to the bare minimum, so that was one thing that that kind of happened organically, some of it didn't, but most of it did, and the other part was. Trying to figure out who we're gonna pay when and how we're going to relay that information and then how do we go out and find you know business to pay it and all of these eighteen there were two one of them was a hard money lender who did everything over a three year period but actually show up and break my my kneecaps but everything else they tried that is an interesting story. It should be a like a, a I don't know what you call it, like a, a thriller, like a Friday the 13th kind of thing because it scared the hell out of me. Wow. But um, the other was the IRS, you know, those two. So, I mean, a lot of my time, aside from trying to drive revenue, trying to manage the organization of, of you know, the employees, trying to manage these other you know the 16 that we owed money we had this hard money lender that was ruthless and we had the irs and the irs and that hard money lender we spent a lot of time talking to our attorneys going back and forth and then part of this was also like this minority owner who was just not helpful i'll leave it at that it was like a storm constant storm
0: oh yeah that sounds like a giant storm like a hurricane yeah so this must have felt pretty scary or even just pretty imagining, hey, there will be one day we'll get through this and things will be better. It must have been pretty hard on you. Or like, how has this affected you as a, as a person?
1: Well, you know, the human mind's pretty funny. And I don't mean like, ha-ha funny, like scary funny. But, you know, never did I sit back and go, you know what, when I'm done with this, I'm going to be a much better person. I'm going to have this, 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 and this. I sit around and go on. I'm a fake, I'm a fraud, I let people down, what kind of friend am I, what kind of husband and father, and, you know, I remember watching Wesley Snipes, something about him going to jail for tax evasion, and I'm like, I'm going to jail, because your mind just does all these tricks on you, you know, and I find out later, I go talk to the attorney, I'm like, what's the chance I go to jail, and he goes, nobody goes to jail for what, you know, for not paying their taxes, you know, that dude, did some bad stuff intentionally, but you go through all this stuff, all this horrible stuff. And, you know, I didn't look and say, where's the end? Everything was what's, you know, early on was like, what's in front of me. How do I handle that today? And it took a long time before I had the big picture in sight and a long time before I realized that, Hey, you know what? we're going to actually do this. We're actually going to pull this out. And my reason for doing it early on was not like I'm going to save my company. It was like I'm, I owe the IRS $250,000, and that's my goal. My goal is to get them paid up. But then after, over time, I started to realize that that was going to happen and that other things were happening. And then I kind of started to you know, slowly but surely become the warrior that people saw me. As, and that was kind of where I transformed and where I went, you know what? I kind of am actually now a badass. Before I thought I was a badass, but now I'm kind of a humble badass, as humble as I can be. You know, I mean, let's be honest. It's
0: the best badass. Yeah. A humble badass. I support that. I mean, it's important to have confidence and believe in yourself. But yes, there's, there is a fine line and sometimes it's hard to see. And I'm so glad that you've learned so much through this experience, no matter how challenging this must have been. You know, one thing that you said that really resonated with me was that you focused on what was ahead of you every single day and also what you could manage that day, right? Like not making it 10 times bigger, even though this was a very challenging situation. I think that's actually very smart.
1: Yeah. It was interesting, you know, how I would have to approach every day. And every day, you know, it was all about, you know, at the end of the day, I had to be able to look and say, I did everything I could that day. And I'm not even going to worry about tomorrow. You know, tomorrow might not happen, but today it's going to be a good day.
0: That takes a lot of strength and and maybe even just um, self-love and acceptance uh, to acknowledge yourself uh, in these times and know that you gave your best and tomorrow you can continue, but today is what you have. And that's, and tomorrow is not guaranteed, right?
1: Yeah. Self, that that self-love and self-appreciation and that man, I had to grow into that, and that's something I really hope you know. Anybody, str- I mean, right now struggling, is just quickly grow into that.
0: I'm happy uh, to to hear that. That's uh, that's what you've learned, That this is something that you needed to develop. And I wondered how was it for man to develop self love or self appreciation in a way that's, you know it's, it's healthy and helps you stay out kind of that that bad, humble badass. Or how was that for you? Because I wonder whether. This is something that men do naturally or whether they struggle with. Curious about your perspective.
1: I think men are really good at covering up their real emotions and their real experiences. And they're not vulnerable. They just do everything they can to present an appearance of everything's okay or I'm good or I'm this or I'm that. I don't know that women do that as much. Maybe they do, but... Most of the women that I've run across are usually much more grounded in who they are, much more grounded in their emotions, just generally. I mean, what they see in men sometimes, I'm like, I don't don't get it. And I say that because there's a lot of times when when I have run across people, they've read my book, or that they find out about it, and, uh, you know, especially men, and they'll just like open up and just be like, oh, my gosh, I don't tell anybody about what's going on. I don't tell anybody about all this real pain. I'm like, well, you need to. I mean, you don't want to go around going, being weak, but you need to be vulnerable in your strength. You need to go, yeah, man, I got, my, my freaking life sucks, and this is going wrong, and this is going wrong, but I'm doing these things to make it better. And be vulnerable and weak from from a point of strength.
0: Absolutely. And I'm so glad that your example and you writing that book has inspired many men to open up to you. As yes, it is also in my experience that I've observed that men do not open up easily. And even with their partners or even their closest friends, going can be mm-hmm. still hard. So so that's why I thought it was important to talk about that. And it's interesting, like for women it can be equally hard in different situations. Like we may open up more to our girlfriends, but it comes up differently i think for women and uh, let's say for for me in terms of the vulnerability that was most difficult especially in my work environment where i thought i needed to be strong and you know always deliver and have it together and you know always show and provide value versus i can provide value yet be vulnerable and yet be okay with not being perfect and making mistakes occasionally so um thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And actually, if you if you don't mind sharing, what has helped you grow into the self-love?
1: I think probably what got me there was emotionally hitting rock bottom. And I believe I hit rock bottom. I mean, I hope I did. I hope I never experienced anything worse. But I think hitting rock bottom and my whole identity was tied up in my company. I mean my company had a good day. I was like, I'm the man. My company had a bad day. I'm like, I, I suck. My identity was my company. And once I broke away and said, you know what? The company's its own identity. The company sucks. Okay, yeah, I had a big, huge hand in getting it there. But I don't suck. And I'm not my company. My identity is not equal to the company's. You know, if the company is failing and horrible, I am not horrible. If the company is just off the hooks amazing, that does not mean that I'm amazing. I am as often and as much as I possibly can, the same guy all the time. And that was one of the things that really kind of catapulted me into feeling good about myself and and loving myself and and that. And, And of course, you know, along the way, you start getting some wins and you're like, wow, I did that. Often we're looking for these big, massive wins like, you know, I'm going to be debt-free. I'm going I'm to pay off that $750,000 and we're going to be back in the saddle in 12 months, which I actually believed. It took us. I've got a theory that anything I believe can happen, I should come up with a conservative idea and then multiply that by three. It's gonna, that's how much time it's actually going to take me. It's almost accurate. It takes me three times longer. But nobody wants to buy a book about called 3X. Anyway, what I learned was that all these small wins along the way added up to a bigger one and a bigger one. And pretty soon I wasn't looking at, we weren't looking at 18 different people that we owed money to. Pretty soon we were looking at 12. And eight and seven and six. And you know what I mean? And then we started getting better. We started getting stronger. We started finding opportunities and deals and becoming really good at that. All of that led up to me starting to feel better because I started to see successes. And that's really important is that we start to see successes. But those successes, we can enjoy them. But we have to remember that that those are the company's successes. And I'll enjoy them as much as I'm able to enjoy them before I need to go back out and say, okay, I got to go back and do this. But I'm not tied to the ultra positive or the ultra negative that go on.
0: That's such a transformation. And I'm, I'm so glad that uh, you were able to to make that leap. I had another interview where we talked exactly about a similar scenario where Sarah Rogers, on I think it was episode three. She also talked about how she tied herself forth to her career. Mm-hmm. So in your case, it was it was your company, but very similar um, scenario. And um, you know, I, I kind of had another <laughs> mistake, or I made another mistake myself in that regard of tying myself forth to my appearance, and uh, and even just lying myself that that was the case for a very long time. Yeah. So that this can cause some serious challenges for for any individual, and I'm glad that uh, you were able to. Overcome that. So you mentioned several golden nuggets in terms of how you started pivoting and helping your business get back on the right path. From what you mentioned, you see that you focus on what was ahead of you for the for the day. You started collecting wins, and the wins then became bigger and bigger. And, bigger. and also, you were um, selective in terms of who to pay based on certain priority or urgency. So you were selective, and I'm actually so maybe quick left turn here. How did you determine whom to pay off the debt first?
1: Probably very poorly, but it was what worked for us. You know, for for some of those were friends. Some of those were people that, you know, that, that had loaned us that maybe they weren't like close friends, but they had loaned us some money. A couple of them were you know, I think two of them were past employees that we owed a decent amount to of like uh reimbursement, stuff like that. And so the first thing I was is like, you know, people with a face, let's pay them off. You know, what I mean by a face is that I knew them. You know, I knew who they were or I could I could see their face. It wasn't like the IRS that, you know, that was this big, huge, massive, you know, agency. And so we went around we went about doing that because I wanted to You know, I was already like behind with, with those people. And so I wanted to make that right as soon as possible. So, so we did that. One of the things that I did, and I didn't realize just how powerful this was, but every once in a while, either those individuals or, you know, the hard money lender was the worst, they would come to me and they would say, Hey, you need to pay this. And if you don't, we're taking legal action. And I would get that quite often, and I would push back because I felt like I was painted into a corner, and I'd say, you take legal action, and I will fall bankruptcy, and nobody gets their money back except for the IRS because they always get their money. But nobody else gets their money back. I would just throw that back at people, and they'd get mad, but they'd go away. And I didn't realize the power that I had you know, that was one of the things that, you know, I wasn't towards the end where I was like, man, if I would have realized that, I would have been much more formidable. And that is that if you owe people money, I felt beholden. I was like, hey, I'm sorry, I can't do this, hey, I'm sorry. And I try to be overly aggressive on my ability to pay them back because I didn't want I didn't want to hurt them or I didn't want to not I didn't want to, you know, be displeasing. And what I found out later on was that You know what? I'm the one that owes them the money. That means I actually have all the power. I have all of it. I'm not beholden to any of them. Now, I'm going to pay them back, but it's on my schedule because you loaned me money, which you knew was a risk. I took money, and I knew it was a risk, and here we are. I have the power. And once I learned that, I learned that in time, with the hard money lender, but you know, some of the other ones I didn't, but you know, you kind of grow into that, but you have to choose for me. It was who matters most in my life long-term I'm paying those people back first.
0: That's very smart. Yeah. Thinking about the long-term relationships that takes us to one of the first questions we we talked about. I love the learning that you shared with us, right? That how you learn to own your power and realizing who's really in control and that Mm -hmm. you're the, the one who can, help the business get back up. And and if others didn't give you the option to do that, then they probably wouldn't see their money anyway. So that was very smart. So if we were to summarize it, are there any other kind of mindsets or strategies that really helped you rebuild the business, right? Or even just from from what you shared with me, I think your company was at about 50 employees when you were at your height, right? And then you downsized to about three or so. Is that correct? yeah. Yeah. So it was a massive change, like massive change from resources and uh, just even being able to keep up with the work and um, even three people going after new deals. I imagine you probably were the key salesperson on the team. I
1: was it for most part. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So that put put a lot more pressure on you as well. So just to summarize it, what were the keys uh, that helped you rebuild the company?
1: I would say more important than rebuilding your company is rebuilding you. The thing you have to do is you got to be careful what you watch. And I would say that anytime. I don't watch the news. I don't listen to the news. I don't freaking give a crap who becomes president of the United States because I'm doing my thing. I'm not going to sit back and watch it. It's just not who I am. But the more you can focus on improving yourself, the more that bleeds into your business. And the more you can focus on winning. So it was all about how do I make myself right? How do I heal my emotions? How do I do this? And how do I do that? And, you know, that, that was first. And then I, could, then I could take that into my business.
0: That is a hell of an answer. I love that. Focus on rebuilding you first. Okay, so now I want to talk briefly about your book. You recently published Upsurge. What is the message you want to share with with the audience through this book?
1: My experience with that book uh, continues to evolve. You know, early on, it was a way for me to heal. You know, the first couple of chapters I wrote, I wrote because I was trying to heal. I was trying to motivate myself. I was trying to get myself clear and focused. As the book went on, it became like I, I was done. I was out of it. I was better. And if you read the book, you can see kind of this like it was just like this person that's trying to motivate themselves and get themselves excited and and other people, all the way to the end of like, hey, this is this is where you end up. So that's one of the messages. And the, you know, the message I want people to get is that you're not alone. That people do this, and as crazy as it sounds, and this is this is the ultimate message where I'm at today. You know, as I, I've given speech after speech after speech, and I talk about the importance of planning because I, I consider myself a, an elite planner. And I talk about, you know, asking great questions. And I talk about, you know, eliminating the negative, or not the negative, eliminating the unnecessary, all these things. The bottom line is, is that all of this leads to the ability for people to outlast everything. And that is the message that ultimately I want people to get is that you can outlast everything. It may not be pretty, it may not be easy, but you can outlast everything. And that's actually the, I, I'm in the midst of writing my second book and and that's right now the title is outlast everything, because I think that is what people need to kind of get into their head is no matter what happens today, at the end of the day, there I am. And I'm always going to be there. And all those other people are going to come and go, and I'm always going to be there. And so that's the message I want people to get: is that you know you don't have to be strong, but you have to have the you have to have the belief that you're going to outlast everything.
0: That's a powerful statement to almost wrap up the interview. I'm ready to read the book, and I can't wait to see the second outlast everything. I'll definitely put the links to the to the show notes so that listeners can find it and uh, can uh, take a look at it. Yeah. themselves. Um, and congratulations on your launch. I know this is a big deal and I hope that it will actually reach many people because there is so much wisdom in what you share today. And um, I really appreciate the, the time uh, you spent with us to, to share your story. I do have a couple of last questions that I want to ask you. I'm curious, what advice would you give to a struggling entrepreneur who is on the verge of bankruptcy and doesn't know where to turn?
1: The first thing I would do say is what I said earlier is don't connect your identity with your company's identity. You know, get that out of your head. Companies fail all the time and don't be so proud of yourself to think that yours, that you're different. Okay, companies fail. You just pick up, you move on, you go forward. If, if your company is valuable and you see that you can overcome these things, I'm talking about like, you know, you don't look and say, man, if everything was really good, this is a freaking crap storm and I'm never going to make any money. So I don't want to do it. If then you quit, you just stop. But if there is value in your company, just dial in and just hunker down and just make a plan, make a plan and follow that plan and just live it and overcome it because it is unbelievably satisfying to sit on the other side of that and go, damn, what a ride I never want to do that again and I would be an idiot to want to do that again, but here I am and it feels great. So that's the thing I would tell the people is that, you know, somebody on the other side who's lived through what you've lived is saying it's much better on this side than it ever was when my company was in its heyday beforehand.
0: That's a wonderful answer and wonderful advice. My final or final two questions. Uh, Number one, this is a question I ask all of my guests. What does being a warrior mean to you?
1: It means that I'm not perfect, that I can be vulnerable. I can let people see my vulnerability. I can make mistakes. I can be wrong. I can be hit hard. I can have really bad days or months or weeks or whatever. But as a warrior... I don't know any warrior when you I don't know a lot of them, but like in the movies, I don't know many warriors that come back and you're like, damn, that's a perfect shiny coat of armor that you have. That thing looks awesome. No, they all come out, they all come back beat to hell. That's what a warrior does, is a warrior goes in knowing they're gonna get their ass handed to them, and they go in anyway, and they go in and do it, and they know that they're gonna come out and they're gonna be better.
0: I love that. Tab, any any parting thoughts you want to share today?
1: Yeah, I do. There's one. I want to help people. I really want to help people. And I tell people this all the time. Um, You know, if they want to go to tabpeers.com, it's not a great website, but it's got some stuff there. But the main thing I want to tell you that it has there is a contact form that people can reach out to me and contact me and talk to me. And if they think I can help or they think, you know, they can, you know, bend my ear or whatever... I'm here. Just reach out. Terrific. That was actually going to be my last question. Where can
0: people find you? Um, yeah. Any social media platforms outside of your website?
1: Um, just, you know, you know I, obviously business. So I'm, I'm big on LinkedIn, Facebook. I've got a big following on Twitter, but does anybody use Twitter? And then, because I don't. And then I'm, I'm starting to, with Instagram. I'm moving forward. I guess my business persona, because my personal one is Tab Pierce. And being as clever as I possibly could, I came up with the tab Pierce as my business one. So the tab Pierce is kind of the one I use mostly now.
0: Excellent. Well, I'll put everything in the show notes so everybody can find it and contact you. Fantastic.
1: Awesome. I loved this. This was amazing.
0: Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. I really enjoyed the conversation. I learned so much. Wrote a lot of notes myself. and. I wish you all the best and I hope that your business continues to grow as well as you continue to nourish the self-love uh, for yourself and continue to rebuild yourself into a better human being as you are today. Thank you. We'll be back next week. Please make sure to share this episode with others and let us know what you thought. Please write us a review on, on Apple Podcast. send me a note with your feedback, with your questions or whom you'd like to see on the next episodes. And we'll be back next week. Thank you and have a great rest of the day. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate you for spending some time with me. And most of all, for investing time in yourself. If you found value in this podcast, share it with your friends and family and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to our episodes. This will greatly help us spread the word and help others find it more easily. If you want to know more about what I'm up to, you can find me on Instagram at Danny Timras. Shoot me a note and let me know what you thought of today's conversation. I always welcome any feedback or questions. Remember, now that you're here, you're part of a tribe. In this tribe, we care for each other. We lift each other up as well as share the raw, honest, unpolished truth that we often need to hear. So before you go, think about the next best action you can take to get you on your path to success. Don't wait for tomorrow. Make a commitment and do it now. Thank you again for listening. We'll be back next week. Until then, have a great day.